the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. I'll sometimes watch televangelists, not because I'm particularly impressed by most of them, but just because I want to hear, what are they saying? What's going out there? Because sometimes, if it's horrible enough, I might need to weave in something in one of my teachings to try to undo some of the damage that some of these folks are doing. It's tragic. People just making up stuff, just saying things that aren't even true. So the Bereans are commended in Scripture as of more noble character, it says, than the Thessalonians. In today's message, Pastor Gary shares a teaching of tough love and challenges you to hear him out. He wants you to know that many preachers spread false information that's not in the Bible. So what can Christians do to fight back against false information? Read the Bible. The Bible shares that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Acts chapter 17 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. In verse 8, when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let him go. So they're free, okay, after all of this. But I like verse 10. Now we're, now we're going to move to Berea, about 50 miles from Thessalonica. Paul's letters in your Bibles, First and Second Thessalonians, were letters that he wrote to the church at Thessalonica. So when you read your Bibles, First and Second Thessalonians, he's writing to those in the early the churches that he that he planted there in Thessalonica. So fruit comes from his ministry there in Thessalonica. But on they go, and I like verse ten because it says, "As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea." Now let me tell you why I like that verse. Because sometimes we over spiritualize stuff. You know, well, if, if God if God is in this, we'll just trust him. We'll just stay here in Thessalonica and, you know, they might come again and beat us up. But it's okay. We're going to trust them. No, run in the middle of the night. Just go. We don't need to over-spiritualize stuff, all right? If your life is in danger, get out of there. And so they get out of there and they go at night. Sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And on arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. So here, here's again a Jewish synagogue. Representation of Jews are present there in Berea. And I love verse, verse 11. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. 
You ought to underline that verse in your Bibles, and I'll tell you the reason why. Because you should never accept at face value anything I say or any pastor or televangelist or any author of any book says. You should examine the scriptures to see if what anybody is saying to you is actually true. You have a brain, and you have the ability to read the Bible and to examine the scriptures carefully to make sure that you're not being deceived or duped by people who just because they have a title or they have a television program don't accept everything. Just because they wrote a book, they're a published author. It must be true. Not necessarily. So be careful. The Bereans are commended here because they didn't take what Paul said just at face value. They searched the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. So Paul's making these claims about how Jesus is the Christ, how he's a fulfillment of their Jewish Old Testament scriptures, and the Bereans are examining their own scrolls, and they're like, well, let me make sure this is true. We're not just going to take what you say, Paul, just because you walk in here with a fancy title and everything. We're not going to just accept what you say. We're going to study the Bible for ourselves. Study the Bible for yourselves. I hope that by coming here Wednesday night, and God bless you, you're more spiritual than the weekend people, but I'm telling you, (laughs) if you think that just by coming here Wednesday nights or coming in on the weekends and you just hear the information, you need to be getting into the Bible yourselves, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, examining the scriptures enough that you can tell what is truth from what is not completely true. And let me tell you something, it is so easy to hear heresy just one degree off. And it bothers me. I'll sometimes watch televangelists, not because I'm particularly impressed by most of them, but just because I want to hear, what are they saying? What's going out there? Because sometimes, if it's horrible enough, I might need to weave in something in one of my teachings to try to undo some of the damage that some of these folks are doing. It's tragic. People just making up stuff, just saying things that aren't even true. So the Bereans are commended in Scripture as of more noble character, it says, than the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians just heard what Paul said. Okay, we accept it. The Bereans are like, we're not just going to accept this. Excuse you, Paul. Excuse us, but we're going to read the Bible for ourselves. And that's what they do, and they get commended for that in the Scriptures. So be a good student of God's Word and be able to understand what is being taught to you so that you can recognize whether it is spot on or whether it's a degree or more off, and know the difference. Examine scriptures every day. Now, verse 12 says, Many of the Jews believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. So again, the church is growing here. People are believing, both Jews and Gentiles, men and women. Verse 13 says, When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too. So they made the 50-mile journey like, Hey, we want to have a more Bible study. This is great. They went there too, except their motives were not right. We're talking about the Jews who were not believers. Agitating the crowds and stirring them up. And the brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. I guess they, you know, they were more mad at Paul. So the brothers, you know, they put Paul in the witness protection program. They're like, we're gonna, we're gonna send you off here. And so, verse 15, the men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So they, they scurry 
Paul out of town. We're going to get, we're going to take you down to Athens. And so off to Athens he goes. So it's the next point on our map. We're going down into southern Greece now to the city of Athens. That's what the next section is about. Let me just read a little bit of this section here and then we'll come back and, and take a look at it. Verse 16 says that while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, waiting for Silas and Timothy, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. That sounds like Starbucks right there, doesn't that? Just a bunch of people sitting around drinking their overpriced coffee with the latest ideas of the day. And so that's what's going on. Now, uh, you know, here's an, here's, here's an opportunity for you to search the Scriptures daily to see what I'm saying is true, because I misspoke earlier, didn't I? I said there wasn't a synagogue in Athens. There is a synagogue in Athens. He goes there first. So, so I, I stand corrected. So I'll correct myself so you don't have to and get my, and get the emails from you. But here's, here's, here's really what I was focused on. His predominant ministry is going to be with Gentiles at the Areopagus. We're going to talk about that in a moment and how he reasons differently with them than he does the Jews in the synagogue. First, a little background on Athens. This is the capital city for Greece. This is the most populated city of Greece. A little more than four million people live in Athens. It is one of the oldest cities uh, in the world. A little more than 3,400 years of civilization has existed uh, in the city of Athens. Athens is well known for its uh, Greek history. And one of the major things it is well known for is the Parthenon uh, that sits on top of uh, one of the highest and major hills of Athens, which is uh, called the Acropolis. The Parthenon was a temple to Athena, the goddess of protection. Remember, the Greeks were polytheistic like the Romans. They just had different names than the Romans did. And uh, they had a little more than 300 gods and mystical deities that they worshipped. There were 12 chief gods and goddesses that they worshipped, but then they had dozens and dozens of other mythical and mysterious mythological creatures that they worshipped. And so the Parthenon on top of the Acropolis uh, was a architectural genius in terms of its structure. The human eye, when you look at a distance, because of light refracting things, actually things bend at a distance. So they designed the Parthenon by making the roof line and the columns concave to adjust for the optical illusion from a distance so that it would look straight. 
When you study this building, I mean, it is just an incredible feat of architectural genius that they would actually make the roof line and the columns concave to be able to compensate for the optical illusion of when you look at things from a distance, how it looks a little slightly bent. So they factored in all of this stuff here. Athens became the center of intellectual thought. Because from this city, you have Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. In fact, Plato established the first higher institution of learning in the world at Athens. His academy of higher learning established here at Athens. And so this is the seat and the the center of intellectual ascent. That's what Athens is all about. There was a smaller hill to the southwestern side of the Acropolis uh, known as the Areopagus. The Areopagus, from two words uh, related to Ares, their god of war, and uh, Pagos meaning a really large rock. I mean, it's basically marble, and it is the hill of Ares, the god of war. In some of your Bibles, it might say Mars Hill. Mars is just the, the Roman name for Ares. So, Um, It's the god of war, and it was this marble slab here where the council of elders of the Greeks would gather and have uh, their discussion, much like the Roman Senate. Uh, This was the place where the Greeks, uh, scholars and philosophers and uh, all the wise guys would gather, and they would uh, interact and debate and settle disputes and all this kind of stuff. So that's what you have going on here. What we also know from history is that at this particular time, there were 3,000 plus pagan temples and statues that adorned the landscape of Athens. It also tells us in the text here in verse uh, 18 that a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with Paul. Now, Epicurean Thinking, Epicureanism, was adapted from the teaching of Epicurus, who lived between 341 and 270 BC, and who taught that pleasure is the sole intrinsic good, but not wild pleasure. It had to be tempered pleasure, a simple pleasure. Tranquility, knowledge, and friendship was considered simple pleasure, and that was the sole intrinsic good. And so Epicurean philosophy was seek simple pleasure, seek knowledge, seek friendship, seek tranquility. They actually saw that sex and rich food were were excessive and did not fall within Epicurean definitions of simple pleasure. So they thought you should abstain from those things. That was Epicurean philosophy. Stoicism, Stoicism basically taught to be free from suffering through logic and reason. So if we're just, you know, if we're logical and we we just exercise reason, we can avoid all kinds of suffering and all kinds of bad things. So this is the kind of thought that was rampant during the day. Epicurean, Stoic philosophy and thinking. And here comes Paul into this, into all of this. You know, the, the intellectual capital of the world Epicurean thinking, Stoic thinking, and so here he is. Now, what we're going to see here in his response, because they're asking him, he goes here to the hill of Ares, to Areopagus, and they they start asking him some questions. They're like, you know, 
Uh, verse 19, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to, you know, we haven't heard this. Now they're just thinking in terms of we want to broaden our enlightenment. You know, we want to learn some new things because that's who we are here. Uh, but, but it's not like they have this sincere understanding or even desire about salvation. They just think that Paul's got some, the latest and greatest philosophies. But they want to know. And so they ask him to come and to share. So in verse 22, Paul's going to share from verse 22 down to verse 31. So uh, let me read it, and then we'll come back and look at it together. So verse 32, Paul then stood, sorry, verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are of his, his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Now that's, that's his whole speech. He's going to get interrupted here by some sneering, but just for, before we see that, uh, let's just kind of break down his speech. He's sharing, he's sharing with them about the Lord. But I want you to notice he's sharing with them from a different angle. Because these people are Greeks, they're Gentiles. It's different. When he goes into a synagogue, he opens up the scriptures. He reasons with the Jews based on a language that they understand. And he opens up scripture because it's relevant to the Jews and they understand scripture. And so he reasons from that angle. But when he goes to the Areopagus here, he has to reason from a completely different angle. These people don't know the Bibles. They don't know the Old Testament scriptures. They don't understand the truth about Jesus, about God as creator. And so Paul has to give them a synopsis of who God is and, 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 and what he wants of us. Uh, in, in a few short sentences here to help them get an introductory understanding of God. He's starting from scratch with these people. One of the first things he does here is he walks around and he says, I notice that you have an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. And he uses that as the entry point to communicate to them who God is. Because you see, for them, the Greeks, they didn't want to leave out any God and therefore incur the wrath of any god, though they have like 300 gods. So what they did was, they were like, you know, in case we leave out a god that we don't really know his name or his function, or her name or her function, we're just going to make this altar that says to an unknown god, and then we'll cover our bases. That's what they did. So they had this altar to an unknown god, just to be safe. Like in case we left anybody out, we don't want anybody to be mad. We don't want the gods to be mad with us. 
And Paul uses that to capitalize on presenting the truth of who God is. He says, all right, you have this altar here with this inscription to an unknown God. Let me tell you who the unknown God is that you don't know about. And he begins by sharing with them, and this is kind of interesting. I looked at these verses here, and and there are eight, I think it's eight, eight different ways, titles, uh, context that Paul presents God as to them. It's, it's really pretty fascinating that in, in a few short sentences here, he presents God as creator in verse 24 because he says, who made the world and everything in it. He presents him as life giver. He said in verse 25, he gives all men life and breath and everything else. He presents him as sovereign in verse 26 because he said he determined the times set for them, for everybody. He presents him as personable in verse 27 so that men would seek him, reach out for him, and find him. That's a personal God. He presents him as father because he talks about how since we are his offspring in verse 29... He presents him as divine. He calls him the divine being in verse 29. He presents him as judge. He calls, he says that he will judge the world with justice in verse 31. And he presents him as a miracle worker because it says in verse 31, he has given proof by raising him, referring to Jesus, from the dead. And he presents God this way. Now, some are critical of Paul here. You read some commentaries, some Bible commentaries and some scholars, they're critical of Paul at this, at this point here. And I just want to point it out, and I, and I want to respond to the criticism that's out there, not that Paul needs me to defend him, but, but just to kind of give perspective here. Some are critical of, of what Paul, how he presents the gospel here, because he doesn't mention Jesus by name, and he doesn't preach the cross. And some will look at 1 Corinthians 2, you don't need to turn there, but if you'll notice in your Bibles, chapter 18 is subtitled, In Corinth. He goes from from Athens to Corinth, and when he's in Corinth, uh, his approach is different, and it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, let me just read to you, listen to what he says in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, verses 1 through 4. He says, when I came to you, brothers, to you in Corinth, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. He refers to wisdom three times in those verses I just read. He talks about the power of the Holy Spirit and not relying on wise and persuasive words, not taking comfort in his eloquence, but really knowing that it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And some look at at 1 Corinthians 2, what I just read, and say that when Paul moved on to Corinth, he, he... felt like he was a failure in Athens because it tells us, if you, if you read further now, chapter 17, go back to chapter 17, verse 32, it says, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. King James says they mocked him. But others said, well, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. And it says in verse 34, a few men became followers of Paul and believed among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. And some look at that and say, well, it wasn't very fruitful. Only a few believed. 
Dionysius, Damaris, and a number of others. And that the reason Paul wasn't very fruitful is because he really didn't preach Christ crucified. So then when he moves on to Corinth, he says to the people of Corinth when he writes the letter in response, he goes, you know what? When I got to Corinth, I changed my my approach. I, I, I didn't want to rely on eloquence and wise and persuasive words. It's just the work of the Holy Spirit. That's all for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. What are some things you've taken away from the messages here in Acts? Would you let us know? You can get in touch with us by sending an email to prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. While you're sharing what you've learned, feel free to send us a prayer request so we can know how to be praying for our listeners. That email again is prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Our radio ministry is an outpouring of what's going on here at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary teaches every Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. We also meet at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. To learn more about who we are, go to cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're so happy that you're part of our listening audience, and we'd be delighted to meet you and hear your faith journey. Like so many of the people mentioned in Acts, there's much transformation that happens in a person's heart when they seek to follow after God. We hope that's the case for you, too. All that to say, we hope you'll continue to tune in to these messages and keep growing as you dig into the book of Acts with us. We'll be right here, same time, same place, at Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.